Hey guys, I'm Mike. If I haven't met you, um, hey guys. Um, well, I wonder, I wonder what the most trouble you've ever been in is. I wonder if there's a time when you were just in deep trouble. Uh, maybe it's something when you got caught um, and you didn't think you were going to get caught, um, and you've got to face the consequences. You know that moment when you think maybe I'm going to get away with this, and suddenly the teacher comes or your parents catch you. Or for me, it was the police. I was, uh, I was on my pays, and I was driving to work, and I was running a bit late, and so I thought I'd try to, I thought I'd try to make up time. Um, this is a dumb idea, by the way, and I, I thought I'd try to make up time by going a bit quicker. Then I saw, I saw this stop sign. It's kind of a bit like, you know that stop sign at um, Carolta Road that's that kind of like, no, you guys don't know it. It's a bit like that one. I didn't think it should be there. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's Jesse Hurley driving Carlton, just kind of behind Aaron Affair. Anyway, I thought it was, a bit, it was a bit like that one. And um, I was like, what the, what the hell's? why is this stop sign there? Like, it's a dumb stop sign. And I was, I was in a rush, and so I thought I'd just, you know, slow, slow down a bit, maybe slow down to 35 or so. Came through. It's pretty quick, pretty quick. And I, I thought I got away with it until suddenly, whoop, the cops came up behind me, those flashing lights. I don't know if you've ever been there before, or maybe you've been there with your family before. It's, um, it's not a good feeling. It's not a good feeling. And so not only did I get done for going through a stop sign, I stupidly didn't have my pee plates on. <laughs> but um, the tension's building. But um, the other thing was that, I, um, that I, was, I got busted with driving in a manner dangerous, which is uh, an offence that, that is a minimum sentence, 12 months loss of licence. And so I got charged by that. And so I had to go to court. I had to go to court a bunch of times. I had to go to court uh, in like, you know, East live in Sydney, you know, in, the, in town. I had to dress up, put on a suit. And I had to kind of get up in the witness box and get interrogated by the lawyer from the police. It was pretty confronting. I was a teenager. I was still on my P's. And I had to get cross-examined. I had to kind of say my recollection of events. The police had mounted this case against me, this young pay-plater. And they were trying to get me in trouble. I'd done wrong, and now I had to plead my case against the court. And what we're going to see tonight, uh, the passage that Amelia read, this is also another case. It's a case that actually God mounts against his people. But God, he's not only the one who's bringing his people to court. God's also the one who's judging as well. And so we're going to be seeing, we're going to be looking at this big question tonight. How do we respond to this judge? How do we respond to God in court? I'm going to pray, and then we'll get stuck into it. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask that you be with us tonight. Help me to speak clearly and faithfully from your word. And I pray for all of us here that we may be listening and you may be speaking to us through your word. And Father, I pray that we might be changed as a result of it, that we'd know more about who you are, your love and mercy for us and that we'd be better equipped to live lives that are pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the first thing uh, that we're going to see tonight is that God demands a response. We can't ignore God. God demands a response. Kind of like the court order that I got. I couldn't ignore it. God, he's calling a court order, and he's demanding that his people respond. Have a look uh, at Micah chapter 6, if you've got it there, verse 1. I'll read from verse 1. Stand up. Plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. 
He's lodging a charge against Israel. In this courtroom scene, God is calling his people, Israel, Israel and Judah, to stand up and state their case. State their case. Say what they've been doing. Because it's on display before God and even creation. Did you notice? It's on display. Tell the hills, hear your mountains, the everlasting foundations of the earth. It's almost as if the sins, what Israel has been doing is so obvious that even the hills and the mountains and the valleys, they, they can see what's going on. Their sin is just that obvious. And what is their sin? Well, we've been looking at, if you've been here over the last few weeks in Micah, the sin of Israel the sin of God's people. They've so severely rebelled against God, against God. They've broken His commandments. They've done dumb stuff like rip people off, take their land, abuse the power they've had, had false prophets that did it for money. They've also been taking advantage of God's people, the poor. They've been bowing down to, to gods that aren't the true God, bowing down to... to to stones and to poles and to just things like that that are just false gods. And so God, he's angry, as we've seen so far this term. But the other thing we've seen as well is that Micah is not just a book about God's people 2,700 years ago. It's also a book about us as well. And we've seen that actually we're actually not much different from these guys 2,700 years ago. We're still sinful. We still rebel against God. We're no less guilty than us, although we might think we are, because we do different sin. But we've, in the same way, we've ignored God in our life, haven't we? We've lived selfish lives. We've failed to be as generous as we could have. We've looked down on people, gossiped, got angry with people, hurt others. Just to illustrate this, imagine for a moment there was a movie of your life. A movie of your life. Maybe you heard some of this before, but this movie, it doesn't just show everything that you've ever done, it actually shows everything you've ever said, everything you've ever thought, every website you've ever been to, every time you've ever bagged someone out or gossiped or said something under your breath. I hate that guy. Every time you've ever, like your feelings as well, imagine all of them in a movie. Imagine I said, hey guys, tonight we're going to play the movie of your life. How would you feel? How would you feel? You'd, You'd run up here and try and get it, try and delete it, hope that it's not up on YouTube. This is the movie that God sees. God, he sees every little detail in our life, the things that we're not proud of, even the things that we should be doing, but we don't. God sees everything. And so clearly, if we take a second to look at our lives, we know we're sinful. We know we've rebelled against God. And so we need to respond to him. And so how are we going to do? What are we going to say? Well, the second big thing I want to say tonight is that we can't respond to God by bargaining. I don't know if you ever tried to bargain with someone before to get out of trouble. Maybe you've been in, in trouble and you, you try to preemptively get in there. You know you're going to get in trouble and so you do something nice to try and get out of it. Maybe you've broken something valuable at home and, and you, you try and make your mum dinner before they get home. So, so to kind of preemptively get in there. A few last time you've been there before. Maybe you realise like you, the teacher's going to give it to you so you you get your homework in on time or you, you be nice to them. Maybe you, you send um, someone a you know, smiley face emoji, I love you, before something bad happens. But does this really work? Like sometimes the punishment, it, it just, it's actually seeing someone you care about really hurt and that really sucks. 
And God's people, so they thought they could bargain with God. They thought that perhaps they could bring these things before God in order to please Him. They thought that perhaps if I bring stuff to God, He'll be happy with me. Have a look at at verse 6. This is the question they ask. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? With what shall I come? How ridiculous is that? Going to the courtroom... Imagine if I went to that courtroom after I got done and I kind of had a present for the judge. Like, with what shall I come to try to get me off? It's ridiculous. It's completely the wrong question when I come up with some options to try to bargain with God. Let's keep reading. Have a look at the second half of verse 6. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves as a year old? What if I, God, what if I come to you with some cows? Will you be happy with that? Some cows, a bit of steak, God, would you be happy? Well, the suggestions, they keep getting bigger and bigger. Have a look at verse 7. Maybe not just a few cows, but will the Lord be pleased with the thousands of rams? My cow, maybe a few cows aren't enough, but what if we give up thousands and thousands of sheep? Maybe that's what you do if you're from New Zealand. Um, they've got plenty of sheep there. Actually, we've got more sheep here, I read this week. But, um, but statistic per person, there's more in New Zealand. But... So a few cows, maybe that's not enough. What about a few thousand sheep? What if we bring God a few thousand sheep? It gets even bigger. Keep reading in verse 7. What if I come with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? It's kind of a weird image. 10,000 rivers of olive oil. 1,000 sheep, not enough. What about 10,000 rivers of olive oil? I don't know how you'd, where you'd source that from, how you'd carry that, how you'd get that to God. It's pretty crazy. But these, these suggestions, they kind of seem weird to us, but... Uh, They're not completely random. See, if you know um, a little bit about the Old Testament, God's people, Israel, they're living under a system in which whenever they sinned, they were to sacrifice something to the temple, not to pay for their sin, but to show that they were repentant, to show that they were sorry. And it dealt with the things on the outside. And it was an outward symbol, meant to be an outward symbol of their heart. But the problem with sin, the problem with rebelling against God is that it actually cuts us off from a relationship with Him. That's the biggest issue with sin. And so you go, the problem with sin is that you go into the courtroom and you face God as the judge rather than Him having, rather than having Him as our Father and our friend. And so have a look at this final response. It gets pretty extreme, still in verse 7. Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? Shall I kill my son, my kid, my daughter? God, I know I've stuffed up, but what if I kill my son? Maybe that will somehow make it up to you. And that's ridiculous. You know, you've done something wrong, you've sinned, and so you're going to do something worse to try and make it up to God? I mean, how crazy is that? We can't bargain with God. We can't do something horrendous or something big and crazy to pay for our sins. There's nothing we can do. And, and a lot of us here, we, we probably, yeah, we get that. Like we know, only, only through Jesus can we get to God. But actually, we live our lives very differently. I mean, I do. I so often forget this. Like I know it in my mind, but I live my life ignoring it. I mean, I say to God, oh, look, I know I've sinned, but what I'm going to do this week is I'm going to make sure I listen really hard at youth or church, and I'm going to read my Bible lots this week. Because I know I've sinned, but I'll, what I'll do to make us good again, God, this is what I'm going to do. Or I'll make sure I try really hard to talk to my family about Jesus. Or I'll make sure I give a bit extra at church or something like that. This is what I do. And I'm guessing this is what some of us here are doing as well. Even though, yeah, we believe that we can't pay for our sins. We kind of act 
differently. We forget our lives don't reflect the truth of the gospel. I mean, some of us here, maybe we think that, I've heard this actually, I've heard this from, from some of you guys, that, um, that we're not in a place yet to kind of fully commit to youth group or maybe when I get my life sorted, then I can kind of start coming regularly or then I can start coming to G-teams or you know, then I can be a, a true Christian when I kind of get my life sorted. But guys, that's, that's actually not, that's completely missing the point of the gospel. If that's you, if you feel like you need to get your life in order to start this relationship with God, you're misunderstood. God loves you so much that in spite of our life circumstances, in spite of how much we've stuffed up, we might have even been in jail. We might have killed someone. God can still forgive and he still wants you back in his family. So we don't have to get our life sorted before we start our relationship with God. If this is how you felt or how your friends have ever felt, God has something to say to you. You don't need to get your life sorted before you come to him. See, God, he is the judge, and we need to take our sin seriously. But the way to respond to him is not by bargaining, not by bargaining with stuff or not by bargaining with deeds or doing nice Christian things. So how do we respond? Well, thirdly, we respond to God out of the mercy that he has shown us. Now, mercy, it's a bit of a funny word. It's a word that's kind of got a couple of meanings, and we've probably heard it before, but it can either mean kind of showing kindness to people, or it can also mean taking someone's punishment away. You know, back when I was in the courtroom, the judge, he had the power to literally throw me in jail. Like, that was the top end of the the offense that I was up for. Um, But the minimum sentence, as I said, was 12 months loss of license. And I was seriously fearing that. I was nervous. I was sweating. And I, I just didn't know what was going to happen. The, the lawyer, I had a lawyer represent me, and they said, I reckon you've got less than half chance of getting off this because you're, you're a pay plater. You didn't have your pay plates on. Um, and and you know, that judges love to pick on you guys. And so I didn't know what I was going to do, but the judge, he had mercy on me. The judge could have punished me for my sin. The judge could have punished me for breaking the law. But the judge decided to have mercy on me. And so I just got a fine. I didn't lose my license. I got a slap on the wrist. Thankfully. See, mercy, it's when we deserve punishment, but someone who has the authority takes that away. Takes that away. Someone who's been wronged against softens that or takes that away. And so what's the mercy that God has shown his people? Have a look at verse 3. My people... God says, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered? Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you might know the righteous acts of the Lord? Here God, he's showing with his people just how much mercy He's displayed to them and how how good he's been to them over the years. Through this journey from this weird-sounding place, Shittim to Gilgal, God leads his people into the promised land. This was significant. For hundreds of years, God was with his people. He sent Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. You guys, many of you guys will know that story, under oppression. It was effectively kind of like the Jews in Germany, in, in Nazi Germany. Like they were under serious oppression. 
from the Egyptians. They were, they were rescued out of Egypt by God into the promised land. Despite all the grumbling, complaining and doing dumb stuff like building a golden calf and worshipping it, they kept ignoring God and God kept showing mercy to them. But as I said before, and as we've been looking at this term, Micah, it's not just this story for a specific group of people 2,700 years ago. Micah, it actually shows us our story as well. We too were redeemed from slavery, weren't we? Except our slavery, we weren't stuck in Egypt. Our slavery was being stuck in our sin. Those of us here who are Christians, those of us here who call ourselves followers of Jesus, we don't have to keep sinning anymore. We're not under this bondage of sin. Instead of sacrificing stuff to God, God has actually sacrificed His firstborn. Did you notice that? Instead of actually having to do something crazy like sacrifice a firstborn, God has actually sacrificed His firstborn Son, God has killed His Son, Jesus, for us so that we can be friends with Him, so that we can be released from this bondage of sin. Have a look at this verse. It should pop up. It comes from Romans 6, verse 6. It says, For we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So if you're a Christian, what it means is that your old sinful self, the self that is under God's judgment, has died. And you're no longer under this bondage of sin. You no longer have to go to jail. You're set free from sin. And so you're under not sin, but grace. And so how do we respond to God? How do we respond to God? That's the big thing we're looking at tonight. Well, if you're not yet a Christian... If you have not yet put your trust in Jesus, if you're not sure about where you're at, and I know that's a few of us, put your trust in Jesus. The, first, the way to respond is to start a new relationship with Jesus. I mean, tonight you've got the opportunity. If that's you, if you're not sure where you're at with Jesus, if you're not sure, where am I standing before God? How can I enter this courtroom? Friends, there's great news. God loves you so much that He has redeemed you. He's, he's spent the most valuable thing to Him, His own Son, so that you and I can be free from sin. And all you have to do is just say sorry. Sorry to God. Sorry that you know my movie. You've watched it. Like, that's crazy. I would not want to watch my movie. Be messed up. But God has watched our movie, and yet He looks on us with love and wants a relationship with us. So just say sorry to God. Please forgive my sin and may I be in a new relationship with you tonight. What about those, and this is perhaps most of us, many of us here who are Christian, who are followers of Jesus. What does it look like for us to respond knowing that God knows everything, that He knows every detail in this movie? Well, have a look back back in Micah 6, verse 8. Micah 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. See, God shows us three things about how we're to respond to Him. And I'll wrap up with these three things. Firstly, He says, remember. Remember what God has shown us. God has shown us tremendous grace. He, as I said, He's watched the movie, and, he, and yet He looks on us with love, with kindness. And when we, go to, when we die, before God... 
we don't actually show him our movie. Instead, we show Jesus' movie. Jesus' pure, clean movie. And so we get, to, we get to be in heaven. We get to go and spend eternity with God and, and all of us together in core in Christ. How good's that? We don't have to kind of show up with God with our mess. We, have to, we get to show up to God with our clean hands because of what Jesus has done. Jesus has taken God's judgment on himself. God has judged his son instead of us. And so when he says, what does God require? We need to remember that first. Remember that these things that I'm about to say, that do not get us into heaven. We need to remember what God has already shown us. Remember that by his mercy, we are right with him. And so as we remember, we need to be constantly reminding ourselves. The way to remember is to not just kind of sit in a room and, and hope that you'll, you'll pick up stuff, but you remember by, by reading, actually hearing God speak to you as you read his word. You remember by, by talking to God. You remember by hanging out with God's people. You remember by joining or being part of G-teams where we can encourage each other, remind each other of the truths of God. And so we need to soak ourselves in God's Word. This is how God speaks to us. Give yourselves as many opportunities as you can to soak yourself in God's Word. I've got, sometimes I listen to God's Word on Spotify. You can kind of get the Bible on that. Like think of, think of ways where you can constantly soak yourself in God's Word. Secondly, and I'm putting these two together, act justly. The second way to respond is to act justly and love mercy. See, God, he's a God of justice and mercy, and he cares deeply about right and wrong. He loves to forgive people. He loves to be kind. And so we respond by remembering what God has done and remembering just how much mercy he's shown on us. So have a look at this verse in Romans. This is actually what's happened to us. Romans 6.18, it says, You've been set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness or slaves to justice. It's the same word there. So now as Christians, we're no longer to devote ourselves to sin and selfishness, but to devote ourselves to doing what is right, doing what is just. It means obeying the law, even if it's not inconvenient for us, even if we're in a hurry. We need to obey the law, Mike. <laughs> we need to obey the law like when we're thinking about where our content comes from. We need to stand up for those who are getting oppressed. We need to look out for others with mercy. We need to look at others, how God looks at them. Maybe there's people in our year, or even people here at youth that are kind of on the outer. Maybe there's kind of people that you look down upon, or that you don't even notice. Guys, God has looked on you with mercy. We were spiritually poor. We were in the gutter without God. And so we need to remind ourselves of that when we look around. But guys, we also need to look beyond, look bigger than just our, our city even. I was reading this week that there's about 30 million slaves in the world. And that's not slaves to sin. That's kind of slaves, bondage, the people that are forced to lape, to work and can't get out of it. It's 30 million. 30, it's crazy. Many of them are children. Many of them are forced to work 15, 18 hours a day in factories. And they can't get out of it. Their families are kind of held up in bondage. Christians, we're called to actually care about those who God cares about. 
we're cared to do stuff about it. So a lot of you guys, we're, we're starting to work now. Think about where's your money going towards? How can we be generous towards people that are in less fortunate, way less fortunate situations than us? What can we do? What can we do to help people who need mercy? There are lots of things we can do. Lots of things. And I don't have time to, to talk about them. You can ask me about them later on. But the other thing we need to remember as well, as we do good, and Christians, we're called to do good. Christians are the ones that start up hospitals and orphanages. And, and for centuries, Christians have been doing lots of awesome stuff. But we need to always remind ourselves that the biggest need that anyone ever has is the need of their sins forgiven. The need to stand before God face to face. That's the biggest need that anyone ever has. That's why we support projects here like the $7 challenge. We could support a million things here at EV Youth and it'd be awesome. But we're really keen to see more and more people have their deepest need met. And that's their need to meet Jesus. And these guys in North Korea, many of them never even heard of Jesus. And so we're, we're supporting an opportunity. We together are supporting an opportunity to allow these guys to hear about Jesus for the first time so they can meet God. And so we're to remember what God has done for us. We're to act justly and love mercy because that's who God is. And finally, we're called to walk humbly without God. See, God, He's not, he's not this kind of guy in the sky that's just interacting us through random facts. God, He actually wants a relationship with us. God wants us to walk. It says to walk humbly with Him. See, God doesn't want our stuff. He doesn't want us to bargain with Him. But He wants a relationship with us. The Bible says He's our Father. Our Father. And so, as Christians, we're called to be living out that relationship. To be praying to Him, talking to Him, hearing Him speak through His Word, singing to Him. I was encouraged last week, we, um, the leaders, we said that last week we thought it was the best singing we've heard all year. So That's awesome. It's so encouraging hearing you guys sing and, and reflect our relationship with God. It's so good, so good. And when we pray, we don't have to kind of pray these long, fancy prayers. I know some of us, we're kind of, we don't like praying um, in front of others because we're not really sure what to say. And that's all right, that's all right. But when we pray, just talk to God, just, just share, you, know, you and Him, just share what's on your heart because He cares for you. He wants us to be listening to His Word and He wants us to be sharing our thoughts, our hearts, our desires with Him. But he also wants us to be walking humbly with him. We need to recognize who we are. Mortal. How humbling is that word? We're just a mortal. We need to be walking humbly with him. We need to recognize that we are who we are and God is who God is. And so we need to confess our sin. We need to stop and take time to think about what actually is our sin. Where are we falling short? And humble us before God. We need to be acting humbly in how we relate to others as well. I mean, some of us here, we, we don't do that. We don't do that. We're not humble. We love attention. We love looking down on others. But actually, no. God, even though He could look down on us, He's actually sent His Son, Jesus, to become one of us, humbling Himself by becoming a human being and dying on the cross for you and I. God of the universe has the right to be arrogant, but God has actually sent Jesus, His own Son, to die 
What a humbling act. And so God, he calls us to walk humbly with him. Jesus Christ, even though he had everything with God, he humbled himself by becoming one of us and ultimately died for us. How about I pray? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what you have done. Thank you so much that even though we couldn't bear to face you in the courtroom, you've sent your son Jesus. You've judged him instead of us. And Father, I pray that we'd respond to that, not trying to bargain with you, not trying to do the right thing in order to be right with you, but recognizing our weakness, recognizing that humbly we need to come before you and say sorry. And Lord, I pray that that even this week, even tonight, we would love mercy, act justly, and walk humbly with you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.